You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at chargebacks911.com. This episode is a replay of a webinar entitled The New Frontier of Fraud and features experts from Chargebacks 911 and BlueSnap. Uh, once again, thank you everyone for joining us. Um, you know, I appreciate how busy everyone probably is, so I appreciate uh, you taking the time out of your day to be here with us. Uh, my name is Jared Wright. I'm the marketing lead here at Chargebacks 911. Um, for those of you maybe unfamiliar with Chargebacks 911, um, just real quick, we help merchants by identifying and preventing chargebacks before they happen, <clears throat> and then help them uh, refute illegitimate chargebacks uh, once they do happen. Um, and then also presenting today is uh, Matthew, um, oh, is it Vega? Is that is that how you say your last name? Yeah, that is correct. I, I don't know why that was hard for me, but <laughs> I, I, just, I froze up. So so Matthew Vega, and uh, normally, you know, if, if you've been on a webinar with me before, typically I just say, hey, tell us a little bit about what BlueSnap does. But I'm actually going to ask for something a little bit different. I want uh, Matthew to tell us about BlueSnap, but I'd also love Matthew to give us a little bit of, a little bit of his history. Um, you know, I'm real excited. I always talk about how it's uh, an honor to get to, uh, you know, do these webinars with different experts. But uh, I think in Matthew's case, I, I, I mean it in a way like I really, really mean it with Matthew. So, Matthew, if you don't mind, just kind of give us give us a little bit of your background. Where are you coming from? Um, how did you end up at Blue Snap? Um, um, if you maybe just tell us your origin story. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I've been in the fraud technology space, especially on the e-commerce side for about 15 years. I started off uh, early 2000s uh, for a small, basically uh, e-commerce store. And basically within about 24 hours of that store going live, they ended up getting hit with fraud. And yeah, I was like a young kid and uh, happened to know a little bit about computers and the owners were not very, uh, were not very strong with uh, technology and they're like hey you know we're getting hit with fraud solve the problem so I, I kind of got thrown into the industry and I'm, I'm obviously very glad I did I moved up the ranks as the company grew and then we ended up building out a, a pretty substantial operation um, then uh, in 2010 I actually got recruited into military intelligence so I went into uh, US Army and then we worked with the NSA did uh, you know cyber fraud we did signals intelligence we did digital network intelligence. I operated and worked out of uh, mostly across Europe. Um, and then basically after the military, we ended up doing uh, defense contracting where we worked with a lot of these uh, three-letter agencies and a lot of big name companies in the world to help them uh, collect intelligence, especially against uh, fraud networks. And then I ended up transitioning back into the e-commerce world for a large uh, travel technology company and built out a, uh, a very large international counter fraud team uh, and built multiple technologies and co- including building uh, a lot of the rules engines and applying some of the techniques that I learned uh, through the NSA, which was obviously very beneficial for the business. And then I, I kind of went into more of a consulting role for a period of time and then went up into the Silicon Valley area, uh, worked with Instacart to help them build their 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 uh, fraud strategies 
And then uh, Ralph Denglemeyer, our, our chief executive officer at BlueSnap, uh, basically asked me to come on board at BlueSnap and help them uh, to continue to build the best-in-class uh, counter-fraud technology platform as well as counter-fraud team. So that's what leads me to today. Uh, BlueSnap is basically a, uh, it's a payments facilitator that really specializes in taking the complexity out of payments uh, for both B2B and B2C merchants. And we really just help uh, businesses sell around the globe to achieve more sales and higher conversions and help elim elim eliminate cross-border fees. Um, you know, one of our kind of specialties is really how we leverage technology. We have multiple technologies that we have built into our API, which allows merchants to leverage all of these different tools with one single API integration, which is the BlueSnap API. Uh, and that's really our primary use case. And it really adds tremendous value because instead of having to do you know, 10 or 20 integrations, you just plug in our API and you're ready to rock and you can hand select what tools in our API that you wanna turn on or off. Um, and then we also have full, full custom, uh, you know, customization and flexibility. So merchants can actually bring their own technology, including internal tools or like third-party fraud prevention systems, like some of the leaders out there where you have Frogster and Forder and Signified and Riskified uh, absolutely, those are totally available and you can bring those in and we can actually help you even optimize those those tools and solutions. That's right. And, you know, and I, and I, um, I mentioned off the top here that uh, BlueSnap and Chargebacks 901 uh, definitely partner together. So absolutely. Our, some of our solutions are available almost uniquely through um, through BlueSnap. Um, we have a, some, some some of our basic tools are available to uh to, to people through uh, partnerships like the one that we have with BlueSnap. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always referring uh, people over your way when when they're uh, kind of a, a mid-tier mid merchant that uh, aren't ready for the, the you know, full suite of uh, solutions that we offer um, because, uh, you know, we've, we've been able to make uh, some different offerings available through you guys. So um, the, the relationship that we have with you guys is really valuable. And, and I'm, I'm really happy to have you here today, uh, Matt, and I look forward to picking your brain and kind of kind of getting your um, take on some of the some of the events yeah. of of late yeah thanks jared um, yeah we feel the same way so yeah we're happy to be here as well well great now before i get started i just want to go over you know how the webinar is going to be structured the first part um, is going to be uh, a short presentation from myself and from matt um, this portion will be fairly visual so if you can you know i know everybody's at work you're probably busy um, but if you can you know keep the window open and give us your undivided attention for that portion um, the second part will be more conversational it'll be a q a where we answer many of the questions that were submitted ahead of the webinar um, this portion just because it's questions will be a lot less visual so at that point um, you know, if you've got a spreadsheet that you're working on, you know, go ahead and bring that up and uh, you can just sort of listen to that part. Um, if, you, if you have any questions at any point during the webinar, please uh, feel free to submit them. Um, we promise to answer any question. If we can't get to it during the webinar, um, we promise to answer it by email afterwards. Um, <clears throat> this webinar will be available for replay starting tomorrow, provided that you know, we get it processed in time, but uh, um, not all the Q&A necessarily will be included. So uh, if you're interested in the, these topics, we encourage you to stick with us to get the maximum value out of this event. Uh, I was saying that this webinar will be available for um, a replay, but it's also gonna be available on our podcast. So if you're an auditory learner, you like to listen to this webinar, maybe some past webinars, um, check out our podcast. It's Charge Forward, all one word with Chargevax 911, however you listen to podcasts. Um, and that brings me to, you know, um, I actually asked Matt not to talk about this uh, when he sort of gave us his origin story because uh, 
uh, you know, I wanted to, to toot his horn a little bit on this. Um, my familiarity with Matt comes from, from his podcast, which uh, uh, I was recently turned on to and that I'm uh, now subscribed to. Um, and I think, you know, if, if th these uh, topics are something that you're interested in, I uh, strongly encourage you to subscribe to his podcast as well. I think um, he and his guests do a great job of making, uh, you know, fraud. One of the things, you know, I don't know if, if this is something that you've run across, uh, Matt, is that, um, you know, fraud and cyber fraud and all this. I mean, it's an, an incredibly interesting topic, but a lot of the way that people talk about it in the industry doesn't isn't that interesting. It doesn't, for right. whatever reason, even though the topic is interesting, the, the way that people talk about it, uh, uh, you know, just doesn't, that, that interestingness doesn't translate. Um, right. but, uh, in your podcast, I, I think you made, uh, all the topics incredibly interesting to listen to. It's a great podcast. Um, Appreciate and, that. uh, so I just, if you want to talk a little bit about it, how people find it, um, you know, what's, uh, how did all that come sure. about? I, I encourage you to do that now. Yeah, sure. So yeah, thank you for the uh, compliments. We appreciate it. So yeah, Will, Will uh, Megson and I, Will is the, uh, you know, he was a Fortune 500 fraud product manager, built some absolutely amazing technologies for companies like Groupon and Lyft. Um, and then him and some of his business partners like Sam King, who's a, a professor of computer science, PhD program at UC Davis, uh, basically decided to spin off their own technology company called Bouncer, which is a pretty sophisticated machine learning AI-driven uh, credit card scanning technology. So basically, when you're going through a checkout page, it gives you the ability to scan your credit card to upload the numbers. But while it's doing that, it's actually running machine learning on the local device to absolute to, to determine whether or not the credit card is valid and actually present. So it's looking for color deviations and different types of uh, really cool kind of counter fraud technology. So he's my he's my uh, co-host, and so him and I basically got together when I brought uh, Bouncer into one of my past companies, uh, we became close friends. And really, our, you know, our goal with this is just to kind of shed light on the different technologies in the industry and bring subject matter experts. We've brought in, you know, CEOs and different types of uh, fraud industry leaders. Frank McKenna, he's, you know, the, the chief fraud strategist for Point Per Point Predictive, which is one of the best companies out there right now. So that's really our goal is just to kind of help people learn and kind of nerd out with us on, on you know, different fraud and chargebacks. And, and I'm sure Chargebacks 911 will join us as well in the future. So that's really, uh, that's really our goal. And, and you can listen to us on, uh, you know, almost every platform, including, you know, Apple, Google, uh, Amazon, Spotify, we're all on there. Um, or you can just go direct to our website, which is fraudtechpodcast.com. That's great, and uh, you know, and normally I was I was going to give you a, a little bit of guff uh, for the you know the name being a little too on the nose, but uh, you know, given <laughs> given given the import of uh, search engines and things like that, it's probably a good decision for it to be. That's right. That's um, right. You know that specific. So. All right. <clears throat> so, um, oops, this is not supposed to load it all at once, so I apologize. Uh, but um, if you know if you've been to a webinar that I've hosted before, I usually like to try to start with what I call a dumb question. And um, you, this is an exercise. Uh, it, it came from the fact that I get the opportunity to speak to different experts like Matthew. And I think my instinct is always to try to seem like an expert too, even though my expertise is in an entirely different area. Um, but I, I might be a little afraid to, to ask the questions that I genuinely have. So I, at the top of the webinar, I try to ask a question, whether it's dumb or not, um, just for my own selfish interest and uh, hopefully, you know, to, to begin the conversation in a way that's productive and uh, to kind of kick things off on a on a lighter note. So do, do you mind if I if I start with uh, asking you a dumb question, even though it's already Absolutely. up on the screen? 
Absolutely, and no questions are dumb, so shoot away. Well, I, we'll we'll see we'll see how, how <laughs> yeah, I right. fumble through this. Um, <laughs> but no, I think I think actually, uh, you know, I'm not sure if it's a really dumb question or not. But um, you know, you and I, uh, when we were talking about doing this webinar, um, we were talking a little bit about the sort of dichotomy that exists between the good guys and the bad guys, white hats and black hats. Um, you were talking about some of the new, you know, fraud technology that was being, you know, uh, deployed. And uh, you know, and how you know currently that there's good guys trying to figure out how to how to you know prevent that fraud technology from being effective. And it sort of seems like there's kind of a, a push and pull, a tug of war that's been going on for a very long time, um, where the bad guys will sort of uh, make an advancement, and the good guys will learn how to prevent it. Um, and so it, it got me thinking. It got me thinking about two questions. But I guess just the first one. I mean, is there a technology that you can think of? on the horizon that that you know may change that dynamic in either way either to give the good guys an advantage or um you know to to make it so that it's going to be much more difficult for for the good guys to stay you know at pace or uh, one step ahead of the bad guys i'm thinking yeah yeah uh, absolutely um i'll go ahead i didn't mean to cut you off there. well no yeah it's, it's I, I mean i'm like I don't know, but to me, things like um, artificial intelligence, you know, maybe something like facial recognition, something like that. I, I don't know what. Um, is, I mean, is it is is there good news or bad news on that front? Do you think as as we? Uh, uh, yeah. Um, you, you know, it's it, it's it's really hard to say, but there's there's multiple technologies that are kind of available now, but most likely available in the near future or that are starting to get built up that I really like. Uh, one of them, I would say, is direct merchant to merchant network connections. Uh, so there's a company called Identic that I really like, where basically they are connecting a merchant to another merchant through a special API and encryption software so that if a, if a fraudulent transaction or a customer tries to place a transaction uh, with you know uh, merchant A, then they will ask the network and say, hey, does have, have any of you seen this customer before and have they filed the chargeback? And the network of other merchants will say, yes, we've seen them. Yes, they filed fraud chargebacks, be careful. And in real time, they can actually make a decision. So that merchant to, mer to merchant communication, I think is gonna really change the industry. And that's starting to build up right now as we speak. Um, some of the other technologies that I really like is there's a team of uh, scientists that are working on actually credit card chips that actually sync with technology so they actually can leverage the cell phone towers and actually uh, provide more communication within uh, your your overall global platform which is pretty amazing and so you can actually two-factor authenticate and authenticate card not present transactions with the use of your credit card uh, so that's a very cool technology that I think is going to have a lot of legs um, some of the other uh, tech that I really like is uh, pre-purchase behavioral flags so basically what's happening is is machine learning and AI driven uh, you know algorithms are starting to look more uh, more along the lines of what happens before the transactions uh, you know and uh, really what is the behavior of customers that are legitimate versus what are the behavior of uh, fraudsters so you know how, how quickly do they click through and try to place an order how you know what is their behavior what's the click rate what are they looking for um, and, and so there's a lot of new technology around what happens before the, the transaction which is pretty uh, interesting. And I would say the final two pieces that I, I think, especially with the companies that are kind of leading the way, 
uh, point predictive, which I mentioned before, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, we don't partner because they're, they're in the auto space, but, uh, you know, I just think they're, they're really leading the way when it comes to uh, fighting and using new technologies against fraudsters, including like using bots to go after the fraudsters, which is like unheard of in our industry. And the other company that I really like right now is called Q6 Cyber. Um, and uh, these guys really like, if you think of your fraud prevention as a wall around a compound, uh, these guys are the snipers sitting on the wall that are going a thousand yards out to prevent it from happening. So they're really like deep web, uh, you know, really diving in and actually infiltrating the fraud networks before they hit the merchants. And so they can tell you way ahead of time if, it, if an account has been compromised or if credentials are being sold. And that way you could blacklist credit cards and blacklist emails before they even hit your platform. So I think those are the big uh, technologies that I think are, are going to have the most legs in the future. That's that's great. So j just so to to because I had I want to drill down on that. Um, you were talking about the the chip. I, so if if I understand you right, it's almost functionally it's very similar to like an EMV chip, but it, but it can be it doesn't need to be inserted into a machine. Is that the basic idea? Like you can use you, can, you can transact online or remotely, but but still have that um, actual present card verification. Is that is that kind of the idea? Yeah, it kind of gives you it gives you card present level security in a card not present environment. But most importantly, it allows the it, it allows the like the credit card. So, for example, um, the credit card will actually be associated with an IP address and location. So, right. So, if the person if the person is in uh, let's just say is in Germany making an or making an order, the credit card can get pinged and it can be in Southern California, the actual physical location of the credit card. Card. So that's very mm. suspicious, obviously, because people right. are going to keep their credit cards wherever they are. So though, though, that's really the technology that I see is really going to help uh, with distancing and IP addresses associated with actual credit cards. That's great. Um, so, so those were all really positive things. Um, you know, not to not to drive the conversation in a negative way, but I mean, <laughs> is there anything that you you maybe you're a little bit concerned about? Um, is there a technology oh, yeah. that's sort of being democratized? Uh, out there that you know it may really 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 be a game changer for the fraudsters Oh yeah, there, there's there's a few huge ones, and I'll definitely dive in more as well on my presentation. But the ones that I want to call out are right now uh, there is a device fingerprinting, uh, basically device fingerprint spoofing malware. So there is a new malware that's being used by the you know by the bad guys that can actually capture and uh, and emulate full device fingerprints. Okay, so device fingerprints are basically the best technology that we have to determine the identity of a device or an individual, right? So it's like behavioral biometrics. There's a new uh, there's a new malware that can literally copy exactly device fingerprints and spoof it however they want. Um, it is becoming a nightmare because what's happening is the industry is seeing this huge increase in friendly fraud cases, but actually a big percentage of the friendly fraud increase is not friendly fraud. It's actually this device uh, spoofing malware. And so it looks like the actual person is placing the order because the malware is spoofing the real person. So it's very hard to distinguish between friendly fraud, which we'll, we'll talk about. So that's a big one that's concerning. Um, there's also a few technologies like Pegasus that are starting to become more pre prevalent. And basically what it is, is I could send 
send you a text message using this, uh, using a few different technologies that are coming out of Russia. And what this, what will happen is you don't even have to click or have user interaction. The, the, the just me sending you the text message will allow me to take over your device. So I can actually access your passwords. I can actually control, I can do key logging. Uh, so the, the, the sophistication in the attacks are becoming, uh, you know, they, they're just light years ahead of time. And, and really there's entire teams and software engineers and product managers in the fraud space that are developing these tools. So it's an app, it's treated like a business with profit and loss statements and, you know, <laughs> profit profitability statements and you know uh, cost and and that's why they're they're coming so far is because of the fact that it's a full industry and network on the other side yeah that's that's uh, i was listening to one, one of your podcasts was sort of about that about the 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 ecosystem of the dark web and um, right you know how, how everything really is run like a business with layers now um so yeah, some of that is is very terrifying i i guess for for me selfishly should I expect in the next, let's say, you know, we were talking before, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, I could use the same password everywhere. It was four letters. It was, you know, password one half the time, um, maybe 10 years ago. Right. Um, you know, now I have to I have to do, you know, capital letters, lowercase letters, special characters, numbers. It has to be a certain number. I can't, you know, I, I can't use the same password everywhere. I've got to come up with some little secret algorithm or use a password manager. Um, you know, I've got to do two factor, three factor authentication. I've got I've got all of this burden um, that that I didn't used to have, um, albeit, you know, like you said, device fingerprinting. There's some some things that are a little bit easier than than they used to be you know i can stay logged in on my phone sure um, every once in a while i say hey that was an easy experience but for the most part i've you know the the onus ha is increasingly put on the customer to 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 make sure that, that they're secure so is that is that going to continue is there is there something you know in the pipeline that's going to yeah. maybe prevent it so that in five ten years i don't have to have a 12 character password and you know and use my fingerprint and and uh, right. you know all kinds of other things in order to verify who I am before I log into Facebook. Yeah, it's a great question. So the, there's always this competition, which is really funny, between the growth team and the fraud team. So the fraud teams and especially like cybersecurity teams, we want you to enhance all of your credentials and really make it very difficult for for uh, uh, you know a system to copy. So for example, uh, you know there's there's bots and there's different systems that can basically uh, you know break through a password within a few seconds uh, if it's not very uh, sophisticated. And so, you know, basically the fraud industry has kind of been in this direction where like, well, let's enhance it and let's put more weight on the customers actually making their credentials more secure. But then you have companies and growth teams that are like, no, no, that's going to like, you know, it's going to add friction to transactions. It's going to add friction to our business. We don't want to do that. So we want to try to find ways to lower friction and lower, like, you know, just like you said, login activity. So I actually think that that is going to take over more than uh, adding more and more sophisticated login credentials. I think in the future, we're going to get to a point where we're going to have the ability to have frictionless logins and uh, a frictionless way of authenticating uh, individuals and login credentials, very similar to like what we do with device fingerprinting. So I do think that uh, there is a future where uh, you know, individuals are going to be able to log in and access their accounts without having to have really long passwords. But just a tip uh, for now, while you're, you know, while we're in a, a, an environment where we have to have sophisticated passwords, uh, the best thing to do is use a phrase, right? So, um, you know, like, a, for example, I can say, like, I, I love cats, Apple 11 
right? Oh. So, so oh, right. At, everybody's, everybody's trying your email, and I love <laughs> Luckily, I didn't use my real, uh, real put password. It, put it in your bot. <laughs> so, so by by creating a phrase that's easy to remember, right, and then associate it. So, if I wanted to log into Apple, then I would put Apple at the end, for example, to help help remind myself. But by using phrases, they're much easier to remember, um, and and it creates a really long password, which makes it, you know, it, it takes something like you know twelve to 15 million uh, uh, days to try to hack that that particular password. So it goes from maybe 60 seconds to break through to uh, years, and, and that's really a, a, an easy trick to add more to uh, add more security to your logins. Yeah, what it, what I me personally, what I've done is I, I've done something similar to that. I have a the base password's always the same, and then I have a a little like a sort of equation that I use based on the website. Um, so that all my passwords are unique. Um, that's so I think that's kind of what you're saying, right? You have the base password, and then you then you do something different to it depending depending on where you're logging in. Is that, yeah, is that, that the basic idea? Because because that's always the thing is that it needs to be a unique password, but it needs to be a complicated password. So it's that's correct. It's really hard, you know, unless you have a system or a trick. Yeah, that that's exactly right. I mean, ideally, in a perfect world, you would have a different phrase for each website, but sometimes that can be, uh, you know, hard to hard to remember. So the way that you're describing it would be a great start point. And of course, you could always use like, you know, you know, one pass or or last pass or you know, some of these, uh, you know, password in, encryption systems, which basically store your passwords uh, on the local device. So even if they were to be hacked. Uh, they wouldn't have access to your passwords. So, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of techniques out there, but yeah, that's a great, uh, a great start point. You know, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to hang here for just another, and then we're going to get to the presentations. I realize everybody, um, you know, but hopefully this is as interesting as anything we're, we, we've prepared in our slides. Um, I, I gen this is another really stupid question. This probably should have been my dumb question. Um, <laughs> you know, I use, I'm not going to say I've used a few different, um, you know, password, central password uh, tools. And once I log in, man, I can see all my passwords, all my credit card information, all that, all that stuff. So I'm, you know, I, I know everyone recommends to use them and I do use them, but I, I'm terrified of the idea that, you know, if, if somebody get, makes it into that account, then they've got everything, right? They're into my bank, they're into, you know, they've, they've got, they've got all of my secret questions. They've, they've literally got everything um, and they can access it from, from anywhere. Um, right. what, what is what is your thoughts? I mean, is, is are those systems using like bulletproof security or is that a real concern that I should have? Yeah. Uh, so number one, yeah, the the encryption that they use is is extremely uh, sophisticated and, and very strong. And but most importantly, what what makes these unique is they store. Remember, all of that data is stored on your local device, so it's not in the network. It's not on the servers. So what 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 that means is, if I'm a hacker and I hack into what we'll call LastPass, right, and I uh -huh. access their servers, I wouldn't be able to see anything. I might be able to see like a username, but that's not going to do me any good, right? Because your passwords right. and all of those documentation, your, your credit cards are on the local device. So if I wanted to get in and access that, I would have to find a way to hack your cell phone, for example, or whatever device you're using. And I would have to basically try to get into that account using your real username and password. And then I would have to try to find a way to pull that data out of your phone. Um, so it's really hard to do. And even okay. if I were to like, you know, emulate another device, uh, yeah. I still wouldn't be able, well, using your username and password, if I logged in like on my device right now, I wouldn't have access to it. So it's very secure. Okay. Well, because I mean, because I had a new phone and it was pretty easy, you know what I mean? A new phone, I downloaded the plugin, I logged in, 
and it was like, oh, there you go, is my credit card number. I can see it. <laughs> yeah, you can you know? do you can you can transfer. Uh, usually, you, it it has to do with transferring, and there's there's some technology behind that where, for example, yeah. it can authenticate the owner of the device. So it really depends oh, on the technology. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 I, I assume that there's some kind of background stuff going on, but I, you know, the, the, uh, given that the security guys are always saying use it, I you know I assume that there was a reason, but. Um, yeah, I, I would still say though, I would still say you're better off using your brain and never have anything written down. That's that's always the best case. But it, you know, it, it's definitely a better option than having sticky notes on your computer screen. That's the same. <laughs> right. right. Or using the same password one everywhere totally. and until it gets hacked and then changing it to password two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which you'd be surprised at how common it is. Um. Okay, great. So I'm, I'm going to get started here. And then if anyone had uh, 21 minutes uh, in the pool to decide when uh, somebody was going to mention the word Russia, it was 21 minutes. So you've won the, uh, the pool today. <laughs> okay, so, so real quick, just because this is new data that we have, this is, you know, my talk today is going to talk about um, stuff that we got from the, uh, the field report. Um, you know, it includes a lot of insight from both the current state of chargebacks and the broader impacts of COVID-19. Um, we're going to do a, a more in-depth webinar next month. So if these stats are interesting to anyone, you know, definitely check out the webinar next month. Um, you know, Matt, I, I got to tell you just real quick before I get into this, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that this report and this series of content that, that I'm going to push out over the next probably two or three months is going to be sort of the last sort of COVID-focused Sure. You know, pandemic-focused uh, piece of piece of content that I have to do. I don't. Maybe I'm overly optimistic, but um, you know, I, I I don't know about you. I just feel like everything that has always it's just you know, anytime anybody's talked about anything, the the COVID, you know, the impact on fraud and stuff like that, um, and people have talked about the new normal, and yeah. I am just focused on the normal part of that. Um, sure. Even if it's new, even if it's horrible, um, you know, I just I, I like the idea of things going back to some type of normal. I, sure, you know, sure. I don't know if you share that, but um, yeah, absolutely. But that's the way that I feel about this report is sort of the last uh, little bit. So sure, um, the first thing I want to talk about, and you know, all the stats in this report, please uh, understand that they're all, you know, the caveat is this is done with a survey. So um, when people answer surveys, uh, you know, sometimes it's because, you know, we've offered them a uh, chance to win a gift card or, or whatever. So it's, it's not that they're um, you know, providing false information, but they may not have the, the most accurate information. And especially when it comes to chargebacks, um, it's it's sort of a black box. It's very difficult, even for the for some of the people, the best people in the industry, to to really have accurate information and collect accurate information. So, um, I'm I'm going to report on what the survey brought. I, I think the uh, results make sense, but I I you know am fully aware that this is just one piece of the puzzle and. Uh, you know, expect you to you know look at other places before you uh, uh, infer too much from this data. So 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 all that caveat aside, um, we did ask uh, merchants what they estimated their average win rate is. Um, of the merchants that tracked it, um, that were disputing chargebacks, they told us that 32% was on average how many chargebacks, um, the percent of chargebacks that they fight that they win. Um, that sort of makes sense. It's a little bit low from from you know what our expectation was. Um, but I think that more importantly, I want to drill down into this number because I think even the 32% is misleading. Um, and uh, I want to talk about this data and why it's important that you kind of look at it a different way. Um, so in addition to the win rate, we also ask merchants, uh, what percent of the um, chargebacks that you receive do you, f do you currently um, uh, represent? Do you fight? 
Um, and of the merchants that were fighting, uh, chargebacks around 43% was the average. Some some fight the majority, some fight a very small percent. You know, it, it matters both. Uh, if you have a high fraud liability, you're probably going to fight fewer fewer your chargebacks. I think 43% is a good average. I think most the most reputable numbers um, that I've seen on chargeback reason codes indicate that around half of chargebacks, somewhere in the 50% marks, uh, some report a little more, a little bit less, around half of chargebacks have a uh, one of the fraud reason codes, um, uh, card not, uh, charge not recognized, uh, stuff like that. And um, and so it would make sense that 43% are, you know, is, is the number that are um, actually disputed. Um, so if you have 43%, you have to realize that that 32% is of that 43%. And then you have to look at one more number, which is um, second chargebacks. And I don't want to get too far in the weeds here. Uh, we burned a lot of um, time up top. But second chargebacks, real quick, are uh, you know when uh, a merchant wins a dispute or wins a representment. Um, you know they've uh, the the chargeback has been closed, the money's been returned, um, and then either the issuing bank or the customer initiates a second chargeback. So they dispute the charge again. Um, there's a whole process that goes behind that, and it's different for each card scheme. But you know a certain percentage of wins are going to get re-reversed and go and going to get escalated to that second level, whether it's called um, uh, pre-arbitration or arbitration. You know there's a, a few different variables there, but 11% uh, of uh, their wins um, of the people that we surveyed are getting reversed. So you just do a little bit of math and you come up with a uh, average recovery rate. Um, and this number I think is meaningful for two reasons. One is because, you know, when you're talking to your fraud teams or you're talking to your chargeback management teams and they're saying, hey, we're winning 50% or we're winning, you know, a lot of times they'll have uh, fairly high win rates, but you, ha you have to look at those other, those other, uh, numbers as well. Um, this is one of the problems that we see when you have an overly automated chargeback management system. So if you have, you know, disputes that are, are uh, cases that are compiled automatically, um, one of the things, one of the consequences of that is uh, your second chargebacks may increase because th that case is ultimately going to be delivered to the customer. The customer spots an error. The customer says, oh, that's not true. I, that's not my signature, whatever it is. Um, not because they didn't commit friendly, friendly fraud, but because um, the evidence that you provided was uh, faulty in some way. They're going to call their bank, and uh, and they're going to say, hey, you know, you you believe these guys, but look here, I can prove that that this piece of information is not correct. Um, so that that's why you know, in in our system, and and we recommend that uh, merchants implement sort of a hybrid process, an automated system to save time and increase uh, efficiency, but a uh, um, you know a system with a, some some degree of uh, manual human forensics. Um, <clears throat> the next sort of stat that we talked about um, is the increase of criminal fraud and friendly fraud. Just real quick, uh, on average, um, merchants think that friendly fraud and criminal fraud are on the rise. Um, and, I, and I don't know, you know, I, maybe you and I can talk about this off offline, but, um, you know, I think generally the sense that most people have is that, look, friendly fraud is growing, criminal fraud is growing. Um, you know, my chargebacks are growing and it's, you know, whatever the, the equilibrium is, was 10 years ago, the equilibrium sort of that now. Um, and in, in a lot of cases, that's probably true. But just on average, one of the things that, that we always try to point out is that a certain percentage of those uh, chargebacks that are coded as criminal fraud are going to be technically friendly fraud, right? So, so there's two primary reasons for that. The, you know, most obvious is that 
malicious friendly fraud. So like cyber sh shoplifting, somebody buying something with the intent to try to get it for free to call in and, you know, just sort of lie. Um, you know, oftentimes what they say is, you know, I didn't do this. It was a stolen credit card. I don't recognize this charge. Um, and they go through that process because those are the chargebacks, you know, they've learned um, that uh, that they don't have to, uh, uh, you know, that, that aren't likely to be overturned. Um, so a percentage of that, so the most malicious forms of friendly fraud often are hidden in the criminal fraud reason codes. And then um, also there's a lot of instances, the criminal fraud reason codes, when you look at them, some of them are real specific, but, um, you know, really there's nothing for, I don't think I made this uh, transaction. I don't remember this transaction. I don't recognize this transaction. Um, you know, all of those statements, even even we've you know seen a lot of cases where people call up just to ask the bank like what is this transaction, and uh, in doing so inadvertently initiate a chargeback. Um, so there's you know a lot uh, there. You know maybe it's a family fraud. Maybe it's a, a spouse that made a charge and didn't communicate. Um, there's there's a lot of different reasons why. Uh, it can be a false positive from a from a fraud standpoint. So whatever that percentage is, you have to assume that that there you know there's some percentage, um, and, and we argue typically that it's a, a a notable percentage of the fraud reason codes are actually instances of uh, friendly fraud. So when you're thinking about the growth, I think it's always uh, important to understand that uh, criminal fraud has a tendency to get weighted a little bit heavier than it actually is. Not that it's not important. Um, but you know, but it is. It does get um, a, a little bit more of the uh, the headline and, and stays uh, for for whatever reason in the forefront of most people's minds a little bit more. Um, <clears throat> this is a stat. I'm going to kind of skip through these real quick. Um, I'm going to just skip this stat. But basically, well, um, people had said uh, um, even though these were primarily card not present merchants, um, they had. Uh, um, primarily, it was more common for them to say that they had a mostly negative experience because of COVID, which was a little bit of a surprise for us. But I think when you dig in, um, one of the things that you have to realize is that especially this this was a survey that was that happened at the beginning of this year. So, you know, uh, CMP merchants, card not present merchants include, you know, all of those retailers, all of those service industry restaurants, all of those. Um, you know, primarily brick and mortar businesses that really transitioned and really sort of scrambled to to increase the uh, the card not present offerings to their customers. So um, even though maybe, you know, card not present sales were up, um, you know, doesn't mean that they didn't have a, a, a brick and mortar business that sort of offset any of those gains. And then the other thing was that, um, you know, chargeback rates, um, at least in our survey, were, were being reported as being up uh, 25%. Um, and other reports have put that number higher, lower. Um, in our report, of course, hospitality and travel was was the highest uh, uh, industry. But you know, the growth in your business, um, you know, if you have uh, an increased fraud and increased uh, chargeback liability, you know, maybe maybe even though your your net revenue is up, um, you know, maybe the struggles from that have uh, have sort of outweighed that benefit. So. Um, it was just an interesting stat and fun to talk about. And with that, I'm going to hand this over to Matt. Let me go ahead and give you a keyboard and mouse, and we'll see if we can get to the uh, to the questions. All right, you should be. Oops, you should be good to go. 
There yep, you go. You're, I think I can, so I'm good to go. Okay, so yeah, to, to kick this back off, so you know, here's some of the the data points that actually we are seeing on kind of the counter fraud uh, uh, industry. So we saw about a 40% increase of companies that experienced, or excuse me, 40% total of companies that experienced a, a major fraud event in the past 24 months. So major fraud is a very substantial fraud attack with, uh, you know, it could be excess of of a million dollars in losses. And then about 94% of e-commerce businesses today deal with card not present fraud, which is fairly obvious. I would say, uh, you know, sometimes that could even go higher because of the fact that it's just businesses that are not uh, aware that they're getting hit with fraud. Um, we actually saw a 218% increase in device fingerprint spoofing malware, which is what I what I described earlier. And, you know, when, you know, Jared, when you were presenting your, your last slides and you talked about kind of that friendly fraud, Fraud increase. That's what we see as well as we've been seeing this friendly fraud increase uh, across the industry. But uh, we are very confident that a majority of these, uh, some of the friendly fraud increase is actually not true friendly fraud. Uh, a lot of it is is what we're seeing is basically this device fingerprinting, uh, device fingerprint spoofing malware that's able to emulate actual devices to match the original person. So I could actually capture your personal device fingerprint and your identity and emulate that using a sophisticated malware. So it looks like on the surface that it's actually friendly fraud because you're the one that's claiming fraud and trying to charge back the transaction, but in actuality, it's true fraud. So it's very hard to distinguish. So it is messing up the metrics a little bit. And three out of every 10 IP addresses now are masked by either a VPN proxy or actually spoofed. So we're starting to see an increase now. I would say at this point, it could even be higher depending on the industry that you're in. And the problem with that is, of course, obviously, number one, it, it helps hide your you know, geolocation. Uh, number two is a lot of legitimate businesses use uh, VPNs and proxies, including BlueSnap, to, to help protect our user data and uh, help protect our, our employees, right? And so it helps basically encrypt our traffic. So it, it, you know, it's very difficult if I place a, a order on my you know, work computer from Amazon, right? My IP address is going to be masked. So it, it, we're starting to see that trend of being able to distinguish between a legitimate uh, spoofing technology and a fraudulent one. Um, friendly fraud was one of the fastest growing fraud types in the last 12 months that we saw. But again, um, it, it, this is really a difficult in, uh, difficult category to also to prevent and fight uh, because of the type. However, there is some techniques that you can use to win those chargebacks if, if you want to uh, go after them. And there is some techniques to help kind of counter that, that uh, fingerprint spoofing malware, which we'll talk about. <clears throat> Yeah. So, the, the, so, um, sorry, Matt. I hate to interrupt sure. you. I know we're trying to get through this, and I, you know, I'm, I'm just asking my dumb questions. The, th the three out of ten, the, 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 the proxies and the VPN. So, just this is a genuine question that I have because you know I, I hear commercials. I assume you listen to to podcasts. You don't you don't sure. just um you, you don't just yep. run one. I'm you podcast fan. Um, you know the uh, um I hear VPN commercials all the time. And my experience with VPN was, you know, from years ago, back when, you know, some a lot of the really effective SEO strategies, you know, relied on, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of some shadier activities. Sure. And that's when, like, IP and IP masking and, and VPN. That was when, when I was learning about that type of stuff, and it was not really a, a mainstream thing. Um, the mainstreaming of VPN is that, like, uh, is there, is there something behind that, or is that just a, a shrewd business? Uh, 
uh, thing that yeah. people are doing? Why, why, why are consumers um, and just everyday people, why, why are they intrigued uh, and, and going through a VPN server? Do you have any sense of that? Yeah, I do. So, so you're right. I, I think it did start initially as a way to kind of hide your traffic and basically be able to access kind of the deep web and some of the more shadier areas of the internet without being tracked. And but what I think what's happening, especially industry wide, is you know all of the major technology companies out there track a lot of your movement and clicks and what you're viewing and what you're opening to increase marketing capabilities. And I think people are just getting tired of of it at this point and i also think that because of account takeovers being on the rise and because of so many people are getting their data compromised you know just a few weeks ago there was uh, a cell phone provider that was compromised and you know the the hackers got hundreds of millions of username and passwords and it, it's just it's just you know there's billions and billions of usernames and passwords now that are are compromised you could pretty much assume now that your data is on the deep web uh, it's very difficult to say that it's not um, I, I would say nine out of ten times someone challenged me, challenges me on it, I can find it on the deep web. So uh, it, you know, the, the use of VPNs really it, it, it's smart, especially as even an, even an average person, it, it helps encrypt your traffic. So it, it gives you a level of security, and it also helps pr pr you know protect you from uh, cyber attacks and and some of the things that you're doing. And you know, it helps it helps encrypt your your internet movements so that they can't be tracked. And you know, but sometimes it's you know even if you're for for example, going to your bank account, you know, sometimes you don't want, you know, uh, some of the big data companies to be tracking what you're doing on your bank account uh, website. Mm -hmm. So that's really the big use case there. Um, but but but, uh, but your point, I guess, is that the the increased use of VPN and IP spoofing and sort of just, you know, it, it used to be that there was the 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 smart thing to do was invest in being able to detect when somebody's using a VPN to say, hey, this might be right. You know, th this traffic might be hinky, but you, you can't rely on that signal anymore. Is that is that sort of the challenge? That's exactly right. Yeah. So there, because there's so many legitimate cus customers and businesses that now use VPNs and proxies to protect their data, uh, their data. So really, that's not a valid signal anymore like it used to be in the counter fraud space. OK. All right. Well, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. No, that, that's a, that was a great question. So. When we talk about kind of this new frontier of fraud, so we see we have seen a 519% rise in e-commerce account takeovers during COVID, and I want to be I want to kind of hone in on that number. So uh, this is not you know most of the surveys that you'll see is related to businesses and merchants basically feel just exactly like uh, like what you guys did, Jared, is where you basically uh, reach out to different merchants and say, hey, what are you guys seeing? And so what these data points are from, these are actually what we're seeing from the fraudsters themselves. So we have it, we have infiltrated a lot of the fraud networks in the industry, a lot of the hacking groups, Q6 Cyber has done a great job in doing that as well. And so when we say there's a 519% rise in e-commerce e account takeovers, we are actually seeing a 519% increase Increase in actual available accounts that are compromised on the deep web. So it's a completely different data point than asking businesses. Businesses a lot of times have no idea that their uh, their accounts have been taken over. In a lot of cases, they'll take over the account and they'll just leave it there. And they'll they'll either sell it, uh, you know, sell it for a profit on the back end to uh, you know to another fraudster that that could utilize it, or what they do is something called uh, account aging. 
So that's where basically you can either create an account or take over an account and let it sit there to help uh, basically lower the risk score of an account because a lot of fraud engines, for example, they'll say, okay, if this customer has been uh, active in the system, for example, so it's present in an e-commerce platform for a year, that's a lot higher risk than a customer that's been there for 15 minutes, or excuse me, lower risk than a customer that's been there for 15 minutes. So that's called account aging. Emails will do the same thing where you know, you're looking for email ages and uh, th there's a ton of companies out there now that actually age emails for you. So right, they create these emails and they just let them sit and they might move, they might log in every few months and, and send some random email just to keep them active. They might sign up for a few websites just to make them look legitimate. And then when you run an, uh, an email age system, it'll show that it's an old email that's been valid for a long time. So that's that's really making some uh, making the industry even more challenging than it is. And uh, when we say the, the rise in friendly fraud and returns abuse, that's really what we talked about, what I've been talking about with the friendly fraud. And returns abuse is, is really taking a new level because I would call it uh, I would call it uh, fraud for hire at this point. And I'm gonna I'm gonna coin uh, Chris Hendrick, a, a good friend of mine, and really an industry legend. Is you, you basically there's these fraud groups that literally offer their services, their expertise at a cost. So I'm a person and I want to say, hey, you know what? I really want a, a, a you know a 70 inch TV from Best Buy. I will actually reach out to this group, right? This quote unquote business, and they'll say, okay, give us 500 bucks, and it's a you know three thousand dollar TV. Give us five hundred dollars. We'll even guarantee it to where if your credit card company actually tries to hit you for it, we'll actually reimburse you for the funds. That's how that's how confident they are. And what they can do, for example, is uh, they will return. They you'll buy the item. They you'll send them the cardboard box, the empty box. They will put like wood and items in the box that match the exact weight of the of the TV and then seal it back up and make it look like it was never opened and then send it back into Best Buy as a return, right? So they're actually able to recapture your funds. And they're, with a lot of businesses, the turnaround time and the SLAs on returns, they're so backlogged because of the pandemic that it could take months before they even realize it. Uh, so that's, we're, we're seeing a huge rise in that. And also a lot of times they don't even realize it because they do such a good job in making it look unopened it goes right back onto the floor and is resold. So it, it just makes it even more difficult to kind of track. And there is some new technologies that are helping prevent that, which is interesting, we can talk about later. Um, but but that's really what we're seeing. And when we talk about this rise in sophisticated malware attacks and uh, spoofing device fingerprints, um, you, you know, really what we're talking about here is just like I was describing, is that you have these these new uh, malware that, that are, are out there that are so sophisticated, they're able to emulate pretty much anyone. So there are some tricks that you can do that we have have applied as well. So one of the big ones that I, I, I've been seeing that ha, has been helpful is uh, basically, let's just say that, uh, you know, Jared places an order and he is using a device, uh, you know, he's using a malware that's, you know, emulating, for example, my device, right? And he basically copies it very, very uh, closely to being 100% accurate, which is very, what we're seeing. And he claims that he is currently located in San Diego, California. Right, so he tries to make it look like where that's where I'm located. So he's going to try and make it look like that's where he's located. Uh, but he's actually placing the order from Denver, Colorado. 
Okay, so uh, basically, or vice versa, right? So we can say that that he's emulating someone that's in Denver, Colorado, and uh, the device is actually trying, he's trying to emulate is, is uh, it, it, you know, in San Diego. So we will actually look at the altitude of the device. So that's one of the one of the areas, the data points that some of the malware is not able to emulate properly is, for example, if the device is stating that the person is 113 feet above sea level, but, but the order and the uh, device fingerprinting is stating that they're in Colorado, Denver, Colorado. Well, we know that's the Mile High City, right? So uh, clearly, 100, you know, 100 feet above sea level is not correct. It should be almost a mile above sea level. So that's a really uh, easy trick to try to kind of break through some of these, uh, some of these, you know, more sophisticated malware attacks. Is actually run kind of data analytics on the actual individual data points that are being collected, right? So actually, kind of authenticate the data points, and we've we, you know, a lot of a lot of companies have been doing that manually where they're just looking at the, da the data points to make sure it makes sense right um, they're looking at you know uh, acceleration and we're capturing different uh, items about the screen and you know uh, a, a really interesting malware that we were able to, to capture just recently was it was emulating the the fact that they were uh, uh, iPhones and so the you know basically they're saying they were you know let's say an iPhone 10 but the the manufacturer and release date that was on the malware was like 2008 right so the problem is is obviously it wasn't made at that time it was made after that date so that's how we were able to catch it so there's really some there is some really uh, good techniques that you can use and of course uh, you know we can ob obviously help you with that so if you have any questions feel free to reach out to me after as well um, when we talk about how to prevent future attacks, there, you know, just to kind of speed this up, because I know we're running out of time, is there's a few things that we look for. Obviously, the best thing, your best approach is really partner with machine learning and fraud experts. Um, it, you know, it, it's there's always this question between build versus buy, and I talk about it a lot on my podcast. I'm not a big fan of building in-house under unless you have a huge amount of data and you have really subject matter experts that know what they're doing. Um, I have seen very large companies, including multi-billion-dollar companies that try to build in-house and they do not have the data to make it accurate. So uh, really leveraging, uh, and it's called the network effect, by the way, which is what I always uh, preach about on, on my podcast is this network effect is where if I, for example, integrate with Count, uh, which is what BlueSnap uses, Count has thousands of businesses that are running the, their traffic through the machine learning model. So far more data is being collected than we could at BlueSnap ever you know, achieve. And that is where, and plus all of our thousands of merchants data is going through these machine learning models to make it more accurate. So uh, really, you know, go after some of the leaders out in, there in the industry. I'm a big fan of Frogster. There's a lot of really cool new uh, technologies that are really leading the way. Um, focus on behavior, not physical items. So for example, if there's a card testing attack, you're better off to go after the behavior of the attack to stop it instead of actually going after the item. A lot of merchants that we're seeing will go and build a rule that will, for example, block a bin and will actually shut down an entire card. Uh, we we usually don't recommend that and we and we see people kind of panic and go go after physical items for blocking um, you're better off attacking the behavior so putting in for example velocity rules that say well if a card is, is added three or more times for example in a you know five minute window block the transaction so that that focuses on <clears throat> excuse me that focuses on the behavior instead of a physical item um, 
use industry best practices in tech with with high ROI. So uh, you know, one of the biggest things that I preach uh, that is really important is make sure it's incredibly important that you start communicating with the industry. The the fraud industry and chargeback industry is so unique in the fact that we don't com compete with each other. So I could call my friends at Stripe, for example, and I could say, hey guys, we're seeing a new uh, fraud trend. What did, have you guys seen this, and what did you do to stop it? And we will ha openly have a conversation about it because of the fact that the in the fraud space, uh, our competition is not e not each other. My competition is not other fraud managers out there. It's actually the fraudsters themselves, right? So you really need to collaborate with the industry. Reach out to us. Reach out to you know different different subject matter experts. Become a part of the industry, and you can really get a lot of really good feedback and and techniques and and trial and error from past mistakes that others have made. Um, you know, and lastly, track the right fraud and chargeback metrics. It's incredibly important so people were talking about they saw a rise in chargeback metrics uh you, you know I, I i question that and because i've been able to show this that there might be there there was a rise in chargeback uh in chargebacks across the pandemic but if you look at it and compared to the to the increase in sales it actually sometimes is not as big of an increase as you think right so if you have 20 percent increase in sales and you have and you have 19 percent increase in chargebacks that actually doesn't correlate properly to say that you have an increase in chargebacks right so from a uh, you know, you really want to look at the, the full picture. When we look at fraud, you want to look at fraud capture rate, right? So what is the what is the amount of traffic that you're actually blocking? You also want to uh, so uh, you also want to look at false positives. So those are how many of our customers are being blocked by our fraud engines that were valid. And then um, you know you also want to look at, uh, at fraud false negatives, which is another big one. So that is how many uh, transactions are actually making it through our system that are fraudulent. Right, and you use different data points like this to kind of gauge your performance. You should be at least a 98% transaction success rate in most industries, especially in the e-commerce space, uh, for for a fraud engine. And uh, you know, there's different techniques, but I would say leveraging companies and technologies that are out there. And that's really what we do at BlueSnap, right? So I have probably one, you know, I, you know, not to toot my team's horn, but I have one of the probably highest performing fraud teams in, in, in the world right now. And basically that's really what we do at BlueSnap is we help our, you know, our, our merchants, we have thousands of them. I write the rules and build the the strategies for over 2000 merchants and my team does the same thing. And so we, we help you basically use best practices and monitor your traffic. And uh, that's just incredible included in our network, uh, you know, our network effect and, you know, the models that we're training are, are training other companies that are in similar industries. So uh, that's really kind of a best use case. And I, it looks like we're out of time, unfortunately, Jared. Yeah, I, th I think we are. So I'm, I'm sure that, um, you know, um, you, you've probably got something at the top of the hour and a lot of the attendees are, I see people kind of kind of leaving right now. So we're going to unfortunately have to end it here. Um, this was 1000% my fault. So if uh, you need to address any angry <laughs> letters, uh, go ahead and address it to me real quick. I'm going to flip up back up here to the top because we did have questions that weren't answered um, and you'd like to get them answered. Um, like I said, we're going to try to answer them by um, by email afterwards. But if you just want to email either one of us, um, you know, probably uh, if, if it's a fraud related, you can email Matthew. I'm sure, Matthew, you're, you're okay with me. Uh, uh, saying Absolutely. if anyone wants to reach out to you, you'll do your best to kind of help them Please out do. and provide them the answer yeah. that they're looking for. Yeah, either shoot me an email or you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's just LinkedIn slash IN slash Vega Intel. Um, happy to answer any questions. Happy to connect. Uh, you know, please do. We should be networking. Great. 
Okay. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Sorry, guys, you know, for, for uh, you know, kind of talking too much off the top. Hopefully it was a little bit interesting. I, I felt like this webinar was a great one. Thank you, Matthew, for joining us. And until uh, next time. Yeah, likewise. And uh, we appreciate the partnership at Chargebacks 911 and look forward to working with you more.